0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. This week we're going to continue in our series uh, through the Psalms. And uh, this Psalm, Psalm 20, that we're going to study today... It's a little bit different than most. Um, It it may have been recorded to commemorate actual prayers that the people of God prayed over uh, David the king as he was going into a battle. Uh, It it looks to be that's what's going on. Um, And this is not written, how is it different? Well, it's not written from a, a single author from their perspective primarily. It's written from the perspective of a group of people. And you'll see that most clearly in verse 5 when we read this together. Now, many scholars think that this psalm arose out of the events recorded in 2 Samuel 10. And so if you're not familiar with 2 Samuel 10, basically uh, the, the Ammonite king at that time had died. And so David decided to send a delegation to express sympathy for the king. And so now the king of the Ammonites, his son, is ruling, and he's got some advisors around him that aren't too bright. And they tell David, uh, man, do you really think David is sending these guys to express sympathy? They're really here to spy out the city to see how they can take us out. And so, and this is where. Man, I love the Bible cuz it's it's funnier than we give it credit for and it it just tells the truth, man. Who who would make this up? So here's what the here's what the Ammonites do. Here's I know there must have been someone in the Ammonite like military council that had a sense of humor, okay? In my mind he looks like Weird Al Yankovic cuz here's here's the thing. It, th- this is what this is what happens. So Normally, what do you think? If if we think this delegation is really spies, what do you think you normally do with spies if they come to your city under the guise of we're coming to bring sympathy about the dead king? You would normally do what to them? You'd kill them, right? I mean, it's simple. Just cut them down. No, no, no. Some some weird Al Yankovic looking guy from the corner is like, guys, hold on, I got a better idea. So here's what they do all the delegation, they take them, shave off half of their beards. Okay, which would have been a, a major sign of disrespect because the beard had a lot to do with kind of your masculine honor and respect in that culture. And so, first of all, it's that. But they don't stop there. Then it says, and they cut all of their garments off at the buttocks. So then they send these guys home walking down the road with half a beard and half a tunic. <laughs> like, who comes up with that? You know what I mean? Like this, whoever this guy was, was like, guys, let's not kill him. I have, I have a better idea. Let's do this to him. It's like, man, that's so funny to actually think about. These guys walking around half bearded belly shirts. And so here's what happens. So they come sulking back and uh, David's not happy. And uh, as soon as the Ammonites realize that Ooh, we probably messed up, they instantly kind of proactively start to try to hire other armies and, and they start to encircle Israel. And so uh, a fight ensues, and, and Israel does win that fight. But that's, that's what many people think is, is kind of the events surrounding this psalm, okay, was what happened in 2 Samuel 10. So let's go ahead and get a little bit of the background. Let's read Psalm 20 together, and let's, let's glean what we can from this prayer for the king. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. Praise God for his word. Amen. So verse 1 and 2 it's really, it's different ways of saying basically the same thing, and that's a pretty prominent feature of Hebrew poetry, is to, to say things different ways, give different examples, and so really the bottom line of those first couple of verses is, may the Lord help you, right? So it's answer you in the day of trouble. Uh, the name of the God of Jacob, and you'll notice here, I taught you last week if you didn't know, that here it says, may the Lord, all capitals, right? That's Yahweh, the covenant name of God, right? We're not talking about some broad category here. This is the God of Israel, the God of Jacob that they're praying to. May the Lord answer you. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely. May he send you help from the sanctuary. And so we're seeing that this is, this is prayerful. This is centered uh, all on hope in God's ability to bring help in the day of trouble. It's, it's not a man-centered prayer in any way okay? And uh, basically, those first couple verses, in all these different ways, just, <laughs> the Israelites saying, we know, David, you're a mighty man of war, and everybody knows that, but we need God's help, okay? Which is wise. It's real wise. You think it's wise? I think it's really wise. I think that's something that and, and we get to the end here, the, the adverse of that is putting trust in another thing like horses and chariots, and we'll get to that though, okay? Um, and it's it's not just <clears throat> ancient pagan cultures that have a struggle with putting their hope in things other than God. Amen, right? Okay, it's you and me. It's us. All right. (laughs) All right. We'll get you warmed up here. I don't know what's going on. It was cold. It was kind of, feels sluggish this morning. We'll get it. We'll get there. Verse three. Uh, It says, may he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. Now here's something. This is profound, man. Because one of the first transitions... That should happen when a person or a people, okay, become aware of who God is. One of the first transitions that should happen when they realize who God is, when when they realize his greatness and his goodness, one of the first things that should happen is that we should come to him on his terms. When you realize how great and how good he is, we should stop trying to make him accept our terms. You've got to get a glimpse of his goodness to trust him. You've got to get a glimpse of his greatness to realize your position in the thing. But it should change the way we come to him. And that's really what we see them talking about here. That he would remember your meal offerings. That he would remember that your burnt sacrifices would be acceptable to him. Not just assuming because we did it and we think so, <laughs> that everything's cool with God. But understanding that there is a way prescribed to approach him. And thankfully for us, it's, it's not meal offerings, it's not... Uh, Burnt sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled all of that, right, in his final sacrifice. Uh, But we still can, from the Old Testament, glean help, right? Psalm 100 tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. There is still a way in humility and acknowledgement of God's goodness and his greatness to come before him, right? You're not coming close to him with uh, a a bunch of pride and a nasty attitude and, and entitlement. That's not the way you approach this God. Not surely not a God this good and this great, right? And that's the problem. You would don't If you see that first, you'd nev- you would never even, it wouldn't cross your mind to come to him without thanksgiving, without gratitude, right? In a humble posture. And so that's a lot of what we, we see them praying here, acknowledging that. And uh, that idea really sets us up nicely uh, to talk about what we see in verse four. Okay. So, verse 4, says, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your counsel. Now, some translations of verse 4, when it says, uh, here in the NASB, it says, fulfill all your counsel. That's the most literal way to to say the words, but we don't really talk like that. So some translations will say, uh, make your plans succeed, okay? And that's really the idea behind that. Uh, Translated into English, we would understand. So, um, and this, this gets at the idea, and it, it, it points us towards this problem we sometimes have. Sometimes it, it flows out of the discussion we had in verse 3. Sometimes it's for other reasons. Uh, but most of you have probably heard this idea. If, if you've been around the Bible or Bible teaching for any amount of time, you've probably heard the idea that the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Have you heard that before? Most of you? Yeah. Well, if you haven't, it's, it is in the Bible. The Bible does say that. It's problematic, though, as it always is, to isolate that verse out and then decide what it means. Okay, so if you'd allow me, I'd like to read you Psalm 37, where that phrase is found, but I'd also like to read you verses 3 and verses 5. So it's, it's 37 verse 4 where we see that phrase. It's often lifted out of its context and then applied in goofy ways, uh, to be quite honest. Um, But let me read you the whole thing. Psalm 37, starting in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Is anybody picking up a distinct difference between what we could come up with uh, what application we could make to, oh, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart and what that, how that phrase is actually set amongst all of what's around it. You, you could come up with this very problematic idea if you just isolate it that, oh, okay, the Lord will give me the desires of my heart. So if I close my eyes and just imagine, dream a little dream, if you will, then the Lord is obligated by his word, by this promise to make my little dream come true. Come do it, Lord, right? <laughs> Here's my desires. And so that's, that ends up with people approaching God, not like verse three talked about, with this acknowledgement that he is great and good and knows more than I do, right? And, and the key you know, to that verse is delight yourself in the Lord, right? And, and that's, that idea, man, it's, it's, it, they understood it. So a lot of times when you see, even throughout the Psalms, the, the, these, these declarations of God's willingness to... To um, do exactly what we talked about here, to, to give you the desires of your heart or anything around that always baked into that cake for the people writing this and the people believing this was the rest of that, right? Knowing that it's when we delight ourselves in the Lord that he can then give us the desires of our heart. Because when we delight ourselves in the Lord, these other things are happening. We're committing our way to the Lord. Our trust is in him, right? When our delight is in the Lord then what what happens is our will, our desires, they begin to be so closely intertwined with the Lord's will and desires, then we're able to fulfill what Jesus actually said, which is when we pray according to the will of God, he always answers, right? If we're praying a prayer according to the will of God and we're asking God to do his will, he will do it, right? He will do his will. So the, the, the issue is not wrestling God into a position of, Agreeing with us that this is what should happen, it's allowing ourselves to be wrestled into a position of submission to God's will. How freeing is that, right? Because, man, it's, it's a beautiful thing to pray prayers that you are confident are God's will. Well, how do I do that? Well, being, being very familiar with his word is one way. The primary way, where his will is most vibrantly expressed and revealed to us. And we talked a lot about that last week. Amen. Amen. Uh, and this, this idea of, of not divorcing um, God's promise to give us the desires of our heart from the prerequisite of delighting ourselves in Him and trusting in him and, and coming to him as a God who is as great and as good as he is, that we, we actually even see that idea uh, play out in Second Samuel 10. so David, when, when the Ammonites, they, they hire a bunch of other armies and they're going to come and fight, David has Joab as his primary commander that he kind of sets up the defense with and he's, he's thinking of him as the, the general in charge. Uh, and, and so we see in 2 Samuel ten nine, Joab is lining things out. And here's what he says. Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him. So he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. And Joab said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you're to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to rescue you. Oh man, there's something to that about living in community underneath the Lord's leadership, isn't there? If you start losing, man, we got your back. If we start losing, you got our back, right? 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 Amen. That's a good word. I didn't even meet, we're not preaching on that. Man, it's in there though. Here's, here's what we came for. Verse 12, Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. They're heading out to battle, man. Real battle. This is the people of God heading out into real battle against these kingdoms that first of all shave half their beards off their guys and send them off half naked down the road. You could... Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you assume, well, surely God's will is to give us the victory here. Why wouldn't he just say that? Why wouldn't he just say, be strong, let us fight bravely for our people in the cities of our God. God will give us the victory today on our terms. Why wouldn't he say that? Why do he say the Lord will do what is good in his sight? Because friends, I'm proposing to you that they understood much more clearly and had woven into their understanding of how all this works much more vibrantly than we sometimes do, how much we should be humble when it comes to assuming God's will. About a particular event, right? If the scriptures don't lay out exactly what is going to go on, we, we do have a tendency to assume we know exactly how God wants this series of events to play out. But Joab was wise. Joab was godly in this sense we're going out to fight these guys. And he says, the Lord will do. We're going to fight. And isn't that wild? We're going to fight for the people. We're going to fight, defend the cities. We're going to, we're going to do what we, as far as we know, what we believe is right. And the Lord will do what is right in his sight. Man, that's, that's a humble, right way to approach it. You're not acting like it's exciting as it is or as freeing as it is, but I'm trying to tell you something. It's good for us. Maybe it's a little bit of conviction sitting on us as we really take this and run it through the grid of the way we normally think. Because oftentimes, we are tempted to come to God. We remember some part of that verse that said, the Lord will give me the desires of my heart, and we we give him a long list of what we think should happen. (laughs) Right? Does that mean we can't pray for specific things? Absolutely not. Of course we can. We can ask the Lord for anything. But his answer might be no. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Because if I knew everything you knew, I would ask for exactly what you give me. Wouldn't I? Amen. And yet sometimes when the answer is later or no, we get sulky, we get prideful. We think, oh man, well, God's not being true to his promise. I had this desire in my heart. Well, friend, sometimes the desires of your heart are wrong. Even though from your vantage point, every way you look at it, this looks like the right thing. This looks like the thing that's gonna lead to the most good. Maybe not. Amen. Amen. Verse 5, almost seems like it takes apart everything we just said, but let's talk about it. Verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. Now remember, we already know what Joab said in the midst of the thing that this is most likely based off of, but this is what the people are saying as they pray this prayer over the king. We will sing for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all of your petitions. May the Lord again, you know, fulfill your purposes is, is one way to think of that. And so, as I already kind of alluded to, this verse can seem like the opposite of the principle in verse 3 and 4. But I would argue, and I want to lay out this premise to you, it is, it's a part of this prayer and it's still being informed by that principle. Because why am I saying it looks like it could be opposite? Because unlike what we saw Joab say plainly, they're saying, uh, we will sing for joy over your victory. So it seems there, there's an assumption, right, of victory in the battle that they're heading into, doesn't it? It does. But what's interesting is, and I think what would help us to realize that even that statement is colored and shaped by this deeply held understanding by these folks of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and the way to pray these kind of prayers, the way to think about it as we do, there's evidence of that when we see them say, "And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. We'll set up our banners, okay? That's really, there's, there's a connection there. Why is that a part of when they're thinking about battle and they're thinking about, well, at one level, um, and, and maybe countries and kingdoms stole this idea from the scriptures. I'm not really sure when it, when it began, but for sure, there's this, there's this tendency, there's this practice of, uh, and I always thought it was funny watching movies like uh, Braveheart or other battle movies where, you know, you got all these guys with spears and swords and shields and you got some poor sucker that holds the flag, (laughs) right? Like, how'd you draw the straw for that job? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm not doing it, man. Like, look, if it comes down to it, we got to fight to protect the cities and the people. Give me a sword, give me a spear, I'm in there. I'm not the flag guy. I'm not doing it. Or I'm going to snap that flag and make a bow staff and do my best, you know, against the other guys' <laughs> shields and swords and spears. But that's, that's a little bit of the idea, right? The, every kingdom had a banner. Um, but what's interesting is what they say about that. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. And that anybody hearing that there, they would have thought about the one place in the scriptures, where we see the idea that the Lord is our banner. That's Exodus 17. So, if you've been around Bible teaching any amount of time, you, you may have heard this story. If not, I'm going to try to give you the short version. Basically, there's an, a battle, and uh, this is in the time of Moses, and the, this, there was a strange uh, facet of this battle that basically, as long as Moses held up the, the staff that had split the rock, the one that, that you know, he'd kind of had from the time when he approached Pharaoh and said, let my people go. If that staff was held up in the air, then the Israelites would be winning the battle. If that staff started to fall, then they would start to lose. Okay. And so actually what ends up happening is Aaron and another guy named Hur, it's a pretty tough name, H-U-R, but they end up holding up Moses's arms, right? Something else about community and that we're not supposed to do this by ourselves. That is not this sermon at all, but it just keeps (laughs) popping up. I don't know, man, you tell me. So Moses is holding the staff and then, and then two people come and they help hold it up. And so ultimately then the Israelites defeat uh, the enemy. And what happens then is really why we're talking about it. Moses then builds an altar and he calls it Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is our banner. And so for these people, when they're thinking about banners, they're thinking about that. And it's not, their banner isn't a picture of King David, it's not the, his family crest. For them, the Lord is their banner. They're holding up the Lord as their banner. It's his name. We're, we're, we're fighting under his providential reign. Amen. And so that's different, isn't it? It's different than going out for the glory of the kingdom if it's about the glory of a, a human king or a dynasty or whatever, a certain set of ideals that we think we have that's better than everyone else. Man, when the Lord is your banner, that's a different thing. And it's part of what makes me know, even when they say, we're going to rejoice in your victory. They, these people, man, these were, a, these were a people of history. They knew, all right? They, they would have been thinking about the fact that uh, in the past, when, when, that it was God that won the battles for them. They knew that. They knew the walls of Jericho didn't fall because they were mighty, and they hit it with a pickaxe long enough. Right? They knew the Red Sea didn't part because of their might. They didn't get in there and swash around in the water and make the sea part. God fought their battles. They were dependent fully, totally, wholly upon the might of God's right hand. Right? And so that's in there for them as they think about these things, as they talk about victory. Their, their, their idea of victory is always going to be subject to the will of God. They know that. Okay, Amen. And ours should be too. What does victory look like in this situation? Well, I can have ideas about that. I can, the scriptures can help me shape that understanding. But ultimately, sometimes when it comes down to the details, I'm going to have to trust the Lord. I'm going to have to submit myself and yield myself to his goodness and his greatness. Amen. Verse 6 is interesting. <laughs> If we're paying attention, you, you may see a, a possible issue here in terms of us trying to apply this. So it says, "Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed; He will answer him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand." Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Vince, that's all well and good, but we can't really pray like like that for our leaders because we're not in the same situation that ancient Israel was. You may have keyed into the idea that it says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. So for them to talk about the king, right? How did David get selected as king? A prophet popped up at Jesse's house, <laughs> passed over all the older brothers, and said, Is, are you sure there's no more? Jesse's like, oh, well, there's the runt. He's out there tending the sheep. The prophet said, bring him. And the Lord told the prophet, that's him, that's the king, anoint him. David had oil poured on his head. He was anointed for the purpose of being the king. That is not the political situation we are in. Amen? Okay? Our political leaders are not chosen by a prophet popping up, passing over all the duds, and saying, that's the one the Lord wants. Let's pour oil on his head, that's the king, that's the president. Okay, So that can make it seem difficult for us to pray for them, particularly in in the way that these folks are praying for them, right? Because I can't say, uh, now I know the Lord saves his anointed about the president of the United States or the leader of any other country with any confidence. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so where does that leave us? Well, thankfully the fact that we are not in the same kind of political situation where we have a king anointed and God clearly selecting his choice so that we can trust in that and, and pray for the king in, in this particular way, that's not the last word about praying for leaders in your Bible. Okay? In the New Testament, we have instruction that takes all this into consideration and yet still calls us to something at least along the same lines. Let me read you 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. Uh, many of you know where I'm going, and you're already getting shifty in your seat. So let's do it. Right? This is gonna be fun. Amen. First of all, then I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all people. That's good. We all like that. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We we could stop there, but this part's so good. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I just like, anytime I possibly can remind you, uh, putting that in the category of the goodness of God, let me just say it again. I just want to say it again. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Look, man, I don't care. You pick, you know, whatever your theological framework is, that's great. I'm, I'm not going to argue with you about it, but here's, here's one thing I will argue. I don't care what you believe, how you believe it, or how many points there are. Here's what I want you to know. God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter, and it's not just that Paul was confused that day. Peter also said, the Lord's not slow as some count slowness. He's patient. Why? Willing that none should perish. Now you can get, make that real complicated. You can get into, well, then why doesn't it happen? Is there different kinds of God's will and all that? Sure, you can, those are big, long theological discussions that get very tangled very quickly. And that's fine. But for me, I'm just simple. I'm just a simple guy. Okay. And here's what I know. Here's what I care about. Here's why I love my God. One of the thousands of reasons. He wants all to be saved. Amen. You you didn't say amen loud enough to that. That matters, man. Big time. That's the kind of God we're serving because a whole lot of people don't seem that way. A whole lot of people got a lot of other ideas about God. They don't see God's posture as one wanting to save. They see him as one wanting to condemn. That's how they primarily see the Lord. And that is a hurdle for a lot of people. Now, None of what I'm saying means we can just go all willy-nilly and come to God any way we want. The rest of what we already said today still applies. We need a revelation with the help of the Holy Spirit of God's greatness and His goodness. We're not coming to this thing right. We're not coming anywhere near the the truth and the reality of the thing without a glimpse of His goodness and His greatness. But once that happens, and that's all by the grace of God, uh, we end up in a place of coming to him and not trying to dictate things to him, but joyfully and willfully receiving things on his terms. And one of the, what I'm trying to propose to you is one of the many reasons we can do that is that through Christ and through the teaching of the apostles, we see that God is not somebody that just doesn't care about our suffering. He's not somebody that just doesn't care about the mess we've made of things. He'll go to great lengths, farther than you'd ever expect someone to to save us, to help us, to heal us, to redeem us, to have us. Amen. It's a good God, friends. That came out of verse 4 that was just supposed to be a little bonus thing. That's not even why we're here. What's happening today? Man. Well, here we go. Why we're here... (laughs) I urge requests, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made in behalf of all people for kings and all who are in authority. We see also Romans 13.1, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. That can be a hard pill to swallow. Looking around, I don't know, at today's geopolitical situation, uh, always the geopolitical situation, right? Like, man, that's a tough one to understand. How do I wrap my head around that? Well, it, part of how you wrap your head around it is understanding sometimes you won't be able to wrap your head around it and you come back to the place we've already discussed being. If I delight myself in the Lord, if I trust in the Lord, then I understand that oftentimes the, the, just the way I think things should go may not be the way they should go. And I'm not always privy to what all God's doing and how he's doing it. God does stuff some wild ways, right? Like saving all of humanity through his son being crucified. You wouldn't have called that one No one did. (laughs) And it's still kind of hard to wrap your head around, even though we're sitting on this side of history and we we see the whole thing unfold. It's like, you know, a little bit of a head tilter. Man, God is hes working on a different plane with a different set of rules than we are. Amen. Gosh, I'm so glad. I hope you are too. But but what I'm saying is, if you you saw this and and you realized... (laughs) It says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. You, you understood from the beginning, as we talked about this psalm being a prayer for the king, you, you probably knew we were going to have this discussion at some point. Our posture towards political leaders. Our heart posture towards political leaders. What are we called to do with them? Well, we don't, we, we're not going to pray for them and say, well, I know, God's, I, I know, I know the Lord's going to save his anointed because even though God does establish all, all you know, Romans 13, right? He, he, there's no authority other than he establishes. It, it, it still isn't, it isn't quite the same for us as having a prophet pick one out of the line and pour oil on his head and say, this is God's man, right? Because this is why it gets a little convoluted and confusing because look, <laughs> God has specific promises to Israel and those, those were all going to happen. We're, we're not in the exact same situation. We, this is not a theocracy uh, we're, we're, diff- we're down the timeline a bit. And so, for example, let's just think of our own context. Uh, we're in America in 2022. It'd be very easy for us to assume we know uh, what God should do with America and what would be right. But we need to be humble enough to realize God is great and God is good. And, and what he does indeed do Maybe different than what we would assume or what we would hope for since we're here, <laughs> right? But ultimately, what is God doing? Well, his, he's always about his great mission. He's always about the highest priority, which is what? He desires all men to be saved. He's patient, willing that none should perish. What are you saying? You're kind of dancing around it. I'm not really. I'm saying it pretty plain, but I'll try to say it plainer for you. Uh, you can't be totally sure what God's will for America is. Okay? You can't be totally sure if the leaders we have right now is all a part of God's plan to breathe renewal and, and uh, revival into America and for there to be this great outpouring of the Spirit in America. Is that what I hope for? You better believe it. Absolutely. That's what I'm praying and hoping for. I'm asking God to do that and I want to be a part of it. Amen. But we don't know if that's why all the leaders that are in place right now, if that's why, because that's, that's somehow going to lead us towards that? Our faces turning uh, towards God and, and a larger scale? Man, I hope so. That'd be beautiful and exciting and fun to be a part of. But on the other hand, sometimes the way God brings people to him, individuals and peoples, is by bringing them low, to humble them. Because sometimes we're prideful <laughs> and we think we got this on our own. Sometimes we like to Uh, trust in our horses and our chariots and whatever else we think we got going on, forgetting that it is by the might and will of God that we exist, period. Okay, so let's, let's pray hopeful prayers. Let's ask God for best case scenario, but let's also be humble enough to say what Joab did during the battle. The Lord will do what he sees fit. And I'm totally comfortable with that because ultimately I do know this. Whatever the path to it is, at the end, his promise is that he's working for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. In the end, his promise is he's always going to be working towards the end of as many people as possible coming to the saving faith that is in Jesus Christ alone. Right? I'm a human too. I I would like the path with the least amount of pain to that end goal, please, Lord. Thank you. But I also know that the Bible... Calls us to this wild thing as believers to not only rejoice in our salvation, but also in our tribulation. What? Yeah, that's Romans 5. If I get into it, I'm going to preach a different sermon, and that's not why we're here. So, now, let me, I always have to say this when we bring this up this idea of, of um, submitting to governing authorities, we do need to understand that has a rev limiter on it. Okay, you know what that, all the gearheads know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? That's like if you've got a, a car and you stomp the gas in perpetuity, some cars will have a, a spot where it's pegged so you don't blow your motor, okay? That's what a rev limiter is. And that's, there, there is that when it comes to this idea of always submitting to governing authorities. We see multiple places in the scriptures where when a governing authority steps over the line of trying to stop someone from worshiping God or encouraging them to worship someone other than God, we can't go there. Okay, that's where we jump off the boat, right? What are you talking about? I'm talking about like Daniel, right? When the king gets tricked into making a decree, you can't pray to anybody other than the king. And Daniel's like, well, you're gonna have to kick rocks because I'm gonna pray to God. And he continues to do it. Then he gets caught, thrown in the lion's den. Obviously, you know, if you know the story, God redeems, saves, and you know, they pull Daniel up out of the lion's den. And it's amazing because then the king's like, guess what? Throw the guys in that tricked me into doing that. And now everyone's going to acknowledge Daniel's God because obviously uh, we expected to find a pile of meat in the bottom of the cave and what we found was Daniel petting the, the lion. So there's something to this and uh, we're, going to, we're going to go with that, okay? Um, I think of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Nebuchadnezzar, worship my statue. No, no, I don't think we're going to do that actually. Okay, throw him in the fiery furnace. What happens? There ends up a fourth man in there with him, right? Jesus shows up. And uh, and protects them, right? And, and so they come out, the Bible says that their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And, and, then, and then there's repentance, right? And so what I'm saying to you is we have clear biblical precedence for the idea that if a governing authority is ever trying to force us to not worship God or to worship something else, we can't go there, okay? Now, we do have a tendency, depending on if we like uh, whoever's in political power at the time, to... <laughs> characterize things that are way before that as that. you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, ooh, I don't want to use examples. I'm just trying so hard to talk about this principally. <laughs> I just don't want to lose you for the rest of the sermon. You know what I mean? I, I got no problem offending you. I got no problem poking you, but sometimes it's just not, not helpful at a certain level. So um, my point is you, you, could, you could too quickly assume certain edicts uh, or mandates by the government Uh, are are doing that this this is you you can make something that is not the level of no longer can you pray to god or worship this statue and i'm not saying that could never come in another way an even sneakier less obvious way of course it could but um let's let's not way before that's actually the threat uh lose credibility by making stuff up and saying that it is you understand what i'm saying everyone get that principally I mean, I can do examples, but man, oh, I don't know. This probably won't help. Amen. All right, so, yeah, let's, let's skedaddle out of that. What's verse 7 say? What does verse 7 say? Okay, uh, it says, it says uh, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. man. That's, a, that's, that's like a, mm, that's a good verse. That's that's a goosebump verse right there. That one gets me. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. So what do we see here? Well, first of all, the most obvious application is the tendency for humans to uh, to literally trust in military prowess when we're talking about human conflicts, okay? And that seems... Particularly relevant this week, um, we chose to come into the Psalms uh, far before anything that was going on with Ukraine even started, and uh, here we find ourselves, you know, at, at, a, at a pivotal point in that conflict, um, coming across these verses. and And for us, uh, we're not as a country directly involved in that militarily, but I think all of us that are paying any kind of attention, our hearts have been touched by the situation. And um, we're feeling the the difficulties around it. War is terrible. Uh, human conflicts are 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 wretched and cause much pain and suffering. And uh, because of the time that we live, we're able to see images of that and get reports of that quicker than any other uh, people throughout history. And so we're we're almost in some way living it um, moment by moment potentially. That depends on how much you've chosen to avail yourself to the information, but. The bottom line is, um, many of us have probably thought about that conflict, thought about what's going to bring that conflict to an end, what could help those that are being oppressed and hurt. Um, and oftentimes, I think, and, and you're even seeing that in some of the debates among our leaders, and then, of course, debates on the social medias uh, about what, what military um, actions we should take and and. You know, I've seen people getting into very heavy analysis of the, the breakdown between the sizes of the two militaries, the equipment of the two militaries, and all this type of stuff. And I'm not saying these, uh, these things have no bearing at all on the way a battle should go, but I'm talking about what we ultimately believe about all that occurs in the earth, what we ultimately believe about the sovereignty and the providence of God, right? It's in, how do you, This is the strange balance. Remember when I told you what Joab said back in 2 Samuel? He said, we're going to fight. We're going to defend God's people. We're going to defend God's cities, right? So it's not this thing where depending on God doesn't mean, okay, we all sit in a circle, hold hands and pray and the other army falls down. Now, sometimes it's like that, right? Sometimes you march around Jericho and it falls down. Sometimes the way God wins the victory is through actually using the people in battle and empowering them to win. And that's, you know, you see that very prominently with Moses holding up the staff or not, okay? But that's, we, we tend to oversimplify things or, or put them in, in two black and white of buckets in terms of how God can do things or does do things. And that's, that's a big problem for us across the board, right? So what, what I'm saying is, I don't know exactly what is gonna happen in terms of the situation in Ukraine. I did hear a statement from President Zelensky earlier this week, and it was, it was to the effect of, no matter what you do, you're not going to take away our faith in God. Now, he's a Jewish man, and so that means something different to him than it does to us. But man, at the bottom line, what I want you to understand out of this idea is that putting our trust in military prowess, let me say it this way. How did it go throughout the Old Testament, all the countries that put their hope in military prowess? What about the ones that, uh, when God pared down the army of Gideon to 300, right? And you're just looking at that. It's like, okay, let's stack it up. Let's run some numbers. Let's let's see which way we think this should go. Statistics, probabilities. Who should win this battle? Gideon's 300 or the several tens of thousands that he was coming against? It's nonsensical that Gideon's 300 would win the thing. But there is always this factor, and it's God. God can do things you would never expect. God will always do things you would never expect. And it's so the real key, the heart of this thing is not that, you, that God never allows battles to happen or that there's, you know, Joab fought. Joab split the people up. Joab had a plan of how to defeat all these guys, didn't he? Isn't that what I read you? He didn't, just, he didn't just sit down and say, okay, Lord, you do it all. He had a plan. They went to fight. But what was his end statement? The Lord will do as he sees fit. And that's even, that's even deeper than just, it's, it's even deeper than just uh, exactly how the details of the battle are gonna go or what God's gonna do. It goes all the way to, man, I, I trust God whatever happens here, right? I've got a, in my, in my, uh, In my hallway, I've got a, it's a painting, and it it says, and even if not, he is still good. It's not a direct quote, but it's encapsulating the idea of the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talk to Nebuchadnezzar. And it just helps me, man. It helps me stay right in my thinking along all of these lines. Because ultimately what they were saying was, look, man, our God has the power to save us from this furnace. That's why we're not gonna bow down and worship this statue. Our God can save us. Here's what he said. But even if he doesn't, he is still good. (sighs) Lord, help me stand there in every single thing that concerns me. That's That's right. That's good. That means I've gotten to the place where I've seen his greatness and goodness to the degree I can trust him like that. And even if not... He is still good. Mm. Help us, Jesus. And this principle is not just about horses and chariots. It's not just about trusting in military prowess. Dear friends, can we be honest and, and introspective for a minute together about our tendency to trust in things other than the Lord? Right? Because most of us aren't in a physical human conflict the scale of what was being described here in the psalm or even what we're seeing in ukraine right now at this moment there are believers who are and so we should definitely be praying for them uh and joining our faith with them to, to see things along these lines we pray that they will but for us man we're in, we're in in little smaller battles every day this world is broken by sin this is not if you're going to follow the Lord, if you're going to walk in his ways, walking through this world that is broken by sin, it's, it's not going to be uh, a cakewalk most of the time. And the Bible told us that. Don't be surprised when there's fiery trials. But what are we when there's fiery trials a lot? Let's be honest. Surprised, right? <laughs> like, hello. Um, help us, Jesus. Don't be surprised. Man, sometimes I still am. But I I just need to be aware of this this human tendency. It's wired into us to find things to trust other than the Lord. The Bible says uh, that a, a, a wealthy man oftentimes will imagine his wealth an unscalable wall. I think that shows us one thing that we tend to put trust in ahead of the Lord. One thing that we can oftentimes end up worshiping. Why did Jesus warn us about this kind of stuff so much? Because money does to us feel like a security blanket. If you got some money in the bank, you can maybe solve some problems that come down the chute, right? Something happens. I get sick, something breaks, whatever the deal is, I can throw some money at it. Now, we don't want to overcorrect. We don't want to get to the point where we ignore all of the proverbs that also talk about being wise stewards and, and the principles of saving and all of that. There's, that's, that's the thing, right? A lot, a lot of times people will get, they'll get over on one side of the deal, like, oh, I'm going to trust the Lord. It means I'll never have savings. I'm never going to have insurance. All that's a lack of faith. <laughs> and uh, I'm just you know going to fly by the seat of my pants. That's definitely not what the Bible's teaching. But then on the other side of the thing, you could end up having all those things uh, in place, using wisdom, but then going too far with that and end up ultimately, if we could... If we could present you with a situation or a situation does present itself and we could really stop the clock and take a look at what was the first contemplations of your mind and heart when this difficulty came? Was it that I have I have built in my might and strength with my wisdom, I have created things that will deal with this issue? Or are we first and foremost ultimately realizing that all of that stuff can also crumble and my dependence is upon God? is my faith in horse and chariots or whatever other things I've put into place. It's not just money, it's all all over the map. Places where we end up putting our our trust in something else. And this is, it's not only unwise, it leads to great pain for us. And it's, man, it's, it's a practical declaration, again, of our independence from the Lord. It's foolishness for us to do that how do I know if I'm doing it? Man, the only way really is to, is to pay attention the next time a problem pops up, okay? And prayerfully ask yourself, ask the Lord to show you, where does my heart and mind go first? Who am I really trusting in? Am I trusting in all my preparations? Am I trusting in uh, whatever it is, right? That's, it's hard, guys. It, it's prominent, it's difficult, it's hard. And unless unless you're consistently sitting underneath the teaching of the scriptures, nobody would even question that. No one won't even bother you about like your heart level meditations when it comes to problems popping up, right? Who who else other than Christ through his word and by the power of his spirit is going to challenge you to think about where your trust is ultimately, right? Normally we only deal on the surface of these things and we tell people either, you know, get prepared, do all the things you can, whatever. And, And again, don't misunderstand me preparations, use of wisdom, stewardship, all those are biblical principles. Those are good things. That's not the problem. What do I trust in is the problem. Okay? You're kind of beating this horse. Well, it's because it's real important. <laughs> it's real important. And it's, it's a heart level issue and it can be hard to sort out. So I'm trying to give you the tools to not just uh, nod your head at this, but to actually uh, examine yourself and open yourself up to the examination of the Holy Spirit and really think about it. Because... Uh, man, it's sneaky. This, this tendency to put trust in other things, it's sneaky. I can put my trust ultimately in other humans. Does that mean it's bad to trust other humans? No, we're called to that. That's, I mean, we were talking about that all through this sermon accidentally, right? But it's about ultimate, it's about ultimate trust. It's about ultimate at the end, man. Do I believe in the promises of God that he will work all things for good? I just don't see how that could be. Look at this situation. I know, I get it. We shouldn't be surprised that we're commonly in that situation. I can't see what God's doing. Hello? (laughs) Do you you see where you stand versus where he sits? The throne above every throne, right? And throned above all things eternal and where you're at. You're not gonna see it sometimes but we can walk by faith. What a beautiful blessing. What an incredible freedom there is in that. Because if it's not that, man, we're doomed to hand-wringing. And uh, either that or hand-wringing or overconfidence that will end up being deflated, <laughs> right? And that both of those end up crushing us. It's not good for us. Hallelujah. And so we're going to boast, and we're not going to boast in chariots and horses. We're not going to boast in bank accounts, and we're not going to boast in all of our preparations. We're not going to do that. What's our boast going to be? In the name of the Lord, our God. Amen. It says, so the contrast of that is that they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Kind of, it's just giving you the practical outworkings of that idea, okay? And then we see in verse nine, it says, save, O Lord. May the king answer us in the day that we call. May the king answer us in the day that we call. And it's interesting here. It says, so it's save, O Lord, save Yahweh. May the king answer us in the day we call. And so there's some, <clears throat> some debate around this. I think the plainest way to read this is when it says, may the king answer us in the day we call. It's not talking about King David. It's talking about the king of King David. Okay. Save, O oh Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. And it's, it won't be surprising to you if you're a student of the Bible that, and I could have done this all the way through, but I wanted to just wait to the end to kind of lob this ball to you. There's, of course, parallel throughout this entire psalm, this talking about the preparation for this physical battle that Israel was about to go to. There's, of course, parallel with the battle of all battles, the spiritual battle that all of us are engaged in, that the forces of light and dark have been engaged in ever since the fall in the garden, right? And, and, and you could go through and reread this and think about it in those terms and there's so much that applies, but we do know that for us, at one level, there, there are physical battles in the world, there's human conflicts in the world, but for us that are followers of Jesus, there is also this other battle, Ephesians 6 talks about, right? Right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, okay? There are forces of darkness that hate God, hate his people, and want to keep, they want to do the very opposite of what we read God wants to do today. The Lord wants to save, right? There's forces of darkness that want as little of that happening as possible. Now they're fools and they're, 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 their fate is already sealed, amen, um, but we're in this middle point, okay? And so we actually, uh, have to have to walk this thing out. We actually have to do what Ephesians 6 encourages us to do in light of the reality that there is a consistent spiritual battle, to put on the armor of God, to be engaged in this thing, not to try to curl up in a ball or stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and just ignore that it's real, because okay? it is real. Uh, it, I would argue it's of even, it's of a deeper reality and, of course, greater significance than all of the human conflicts that tend to capture our imaginations as I would say, you know, like Ukraine is right now for many of us. Not to say we shouldn't care about that. It's not my point, but I think um, the is it. Am I the only one? I'm trying to make this a little more accessible. Am I the only one that has felt things by hearing about seeing what is happening in Ukraine? If if you felt something as a result of this conflict, put your hand in the air. And let me see if I'm alone or ever. Okay, so most of you, um, and if you haven't, I would have to assume uh, either you're very disconnected from your emotions, and that's something we should probably talk about, or maybe you just haven't seen anything. Somehow you've stayed out of it, uh, which would also be an amazing thing. So we do feel something about that, but how many, how often do we do we? Is there stretches of any amount of time, and let's be honest, maybe long amounts of time? where we don't feel a whole lot, we have no emotional connection or or a deep level of care about the spiritual battle that is always raging on around us for the souls of people. It, It should not be among us, friends. We should care deeply every day as a reflection of the great care of our master for the souls of people. That there are people held down in bondage, not knowing that there's a king that they can turn to not knowing that there is hope and salvation available, not knowing that there is light to bring them up out of the darkness, that they feel trapped in, okay? And this, this idea, may the King answer us in the day that we call. I'm gonna to turn to Romans 10. I'm just gonna read this to you. I, I say something um, along these lines almost every week during communion because I think it's a good summary if I had more time with somebody to really walk them through all of the, the finitudes, I would, I would do that. But this is, this is a good summary statement. I'm in Romans 10, starting in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, and now it's quoting scripture. Whoever believes in him will not be Disappointed for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call on him for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I hear an echo of the psalm friends. Do you? May the king answer us in the day we call. These folks are praying. They're praying over their king, going into this human conflict, this battle. But the parallels run deep. And in the same way that they're asking the king answer us in the day that we call, we see this promise come through. After Jesus reveals even, in even clearer detail how faithful God is, when Jesus reveals in even clearer detail how merciful God is, how much he can be trusted Man, these people were all, they were all waiting for this this shadow, this this thing that had been foretold over and over again in different ways. They were looking forward to a Messiah coming. But Paul, in writing Romans, he's on the other side of the thing. The long-awaited Messiah had come. The promise of all promises had been fulfilled. If there was any question, and maybe there was, there's 400 years of silence between the last prophetic utterances and the arrival of Christ, people were probably starting to wonder, is a Messiah ever coming? but he did. And because he did, we know the king will answer on the day that we call. And that's what we see promised in yet another way in Romans 10. And that promise stretches, it's, it's not just salvation, friends. If we posture ourselves as we saw, our, our, saw us being encouraged to throughout this psalm. We, we, the, the Bible tells us multiple times, and the Lord cares about what we care about. The, out, the outcome what you think might happen might be different, but friends, call to the Lord. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're fighting through, maybe you've been saved a long time, you could still call on the Lord and he'll answer. Or you may be someone today, hear within the sound of my voice and you've never called on the name of the Lord. You didn't know you could or maybe you felt too ashamed or you, you thought maybe he wouldn't answer you. Maybe you're not worthy of an answer. Well, friend, I hope what you're hearing today is that none of us were. No one is, no one ever is. The only hope we have is to catch a glimpse of his greatness and his goodness and to, in faith, call out to him. And he will not deny you. Praise God. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you uh, for Psalm 20. Thank you that we get a vision of a people uh, praying for their king. Lord, um, we wanna be honest right now about how hard that idea is for us sometimes. Lord, we are oftentimes tempted and then we give into that temptation to do a lot more grumbling and complaining about our leaders, gossiping about our leaders, talking trash about our leaders. And, and that's not just at the federal level. We, Lord, we are, we are a grumbling and complaining people oftentimes. And we turn to that and then we find groups of people that, like to say the same kinds of things. And we get in echo chambers. It's unhealthy. It's unbiblical. And God, we repent for that. Please help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to be a people that will pray for our leaders, knowing that ultimately you are the king of kings, that king's hearts are like water in your hands, that you move them as you see fit. You are orchestrating your divine purposes in the earth. And Lord, we are oftentimes, most of the time, not privy to the big picture, But Lord, we have seen enough of your greatness and your goodness to trust that whatever you do will be right. Help us pray like Joab. Help us make strong declarations as he did that you will do whatever you see fit and to be settled there, for our hearts to be settled there, for that to be a place of peace where we can stand in the midst of trials and difficulties, battles we find ourselves in right now. The Lord will do as he sees fit and that be the end of it. Because you've shown you deserve that kind of trust. You deserve that kind of trust. Lord, help us to walk in it. May this all be, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies